And he raises the question, not as a person of faith, as far as I know, but just as a really fine political scientist. What replaces churches in binding people together? And note, he wrote that long before we had the kind of polarization we see now, both in Canada and in the United States, where we're always not sure that people see themselves in the same community. And that does become worrisome. This is Culture at a Crossroads with David Mann. Welcome back to the show that explores the intersection between faith and culture in Canada. With me in conversation from Knox College at the University of Toronto, Stuart McDonald. Reverend Stuart, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. So Reverend Stuart, you are uh, an author, you're an academic, you're someone who's uh, well acquainted on the church. And uh, as someone who is uh, very adamantly a a Presbyterian, uh, what's uh, one of your best Presbyterian jokes? I don't think we have many, like something like how many Presbyterians to take a light bulb. I don't know. Committees can't go that large. We'd probably share, though, about how many we're, we're so committed. It takes us a, us a committee to do anything. And that's mm. why the light bulbs don't always get changed. I see. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and that kind of came out in this a little bit, too, in your book, uh, that, you know, there's this loss of civic engagement with the church declining, but there's also this lack of you know, what, what it's like to be part of a, a committee or a team. Yeah, that's one of the challenges, and particularly when there are less and less people involved. The other thing that the Presbyterian Church, the United Church, the Anglican Church have struggled with is those people are getting older. So there's less people to do the work and still a lot of work to do in each congregation. Stuart, from the outset of this book, you disclose how there was some extensive coverage by the London Free Press on uh, the decline of churches and, and Christians in Canada. How did you and your colleague come together to really uh, make a go at this? When the results of the 2001 census, so over 20 years ago, came out, we heard the narrative that was broadcast in the newspapers and things like that, that nothing had changed. And we both were aware that it was a lot changing. So that's really what got us thinking about it. The information on the census came out. He looked at it. I looked at it. So that was 2003, the information with the 2001 census. Um, And we just started asking questions. And the more questions we asked, uh, we present our answers. And then people would say, well, what about this? What about this? And that's really how the book grew. But it was recognizing that the trend of no religion growing in Canada was not going away. It wasn't temporary. So that was one of the first things we, we, we wondered about. And that's what we started to explore. Awesome. The book is called Leaving Christianity. This came out about six years ago today. You look at this from multiple angles. And one of them that you consider is secularization, a natural product of modernization. Could you break that down a little bit for (laughs) listeners? Well, that's one of the things that many people argue is that just as We've become more urban and people haven't worked on farms. They've worked in factories. And now we're not even working in factories anymore. We're in in a a post-industrial age in some ways. That as that happened, that people would naturally become less religious. We really strongly challenge that. We strongly challenge the idea that there has been a gradual erosion of religious faith over the last 150, 200 years. Uh, What our data shows in Canada is that Canada was a remarkably religious country. We had a major religious revival in the 1950s, ended in the 1960s. 
And when things change in Canada, and this is true, by the way, for other parts of the world, was the 1960s. And that's when we saw a major walk away from religion or religious institutions of so many Canadians. And you see this right across denominations. No brand of Christianity is really uh, removed from this completely, would you say? This affects everyone. The thing that's funny is it affects people differently. So the largest churches were affected earliest. So that would be the United Church of Canada, the Anglican Church of Canada, the Presbyterian Church in Canada. Uh, a church like the Lutherans, which was really strong, um, about 20 years later, they really got affected. Baptists in Atlantic Canada uh, were really affected in that first wave. And French Roman Catholics. We also have the Quiet Revolution going on in Quebec. Uh, but some other denominations did better in that early period, the 70s, the 80s, even into the 90s. Pentecostals continued to grow. Uh, the Alliance, Missionary Alliance, continued to grow. Uh, but over time, each of those denominations, even if they were growing, they were growing less than they used to grow. And by the time you hit now, um, really, at least in terms of the census numbers, the only group that is growing that's kind of a recognized tradition is the Christian Orthodox. So they're the only group that was growing in the 2021 census. That's largely due, as we all understand, to immigration from places like Syria and Egypt. But everyone else is declining. So it's affected everyone. Some groups have done better until more recently. And what are the what are the criteria that you're assessing in this book to let listeners know to what degree you're basing these, these claims off of? That's a fascinating question. And I was working on something today which challenged, you know, whether we should even count uh, these outward measures of people's faith. And that's a valid point. I want to say that. However, the reality is we always have. And so the thing we have in Canada, the United States does not have this is that we've historically had a question on the census every 10 years that asks people what their religion is. What's your religion? They don't care if you attend. They don't care if you believe. It's the least uh, serious criteria of religion, but you could say, I'm United Church, I'm Anglican, I am Baptist, I am Christian Reformed, whatever. And so we have that, a long run of that, every 10 years in Canada. So that's one of the things. We also looked at attendance, which is not as good in Canada, but we did look at that. And then we looked at the numbers that denominations generate for themselves, which is their own membership or baptismal roles. And we were particularly taken by the idea of baptisms, hmm. because most Christian churches baptize, whether adults or adults and babies. And our argument is that, that the membership numbers are probably inflated for everybody. Even at attendance could be inflated. If you ask a minister how many people are a pastor, how many people have been at your church last week, it's probably the more generous number. If it's a down week, we'll all say, you know, it was a few extra. That, that's understandable, right? Brian and my argument was that nobody would make up a baptism. And so we really paid attention to those. We also looked at a lot of social surveys. So, there's a variety of different kinds of statistics. So what I find most fascinating is they all kind of aligned and told essentially the same story. 
Uh, there's some subtle differences, but if you look at the baptism numbers, they really help you see what those trends are. Mm-hmm. In the 1960s, you also point out when you're talking about the largest Protestant denomination, that being the United Church, that there was a new curriculum brought in for Sunday schools that saw an exodus happen simultaneously while this bigger exodus is happening among all churches. Could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that's a great point. And so one of the things is everybody's always looking is it something inside the churches that's the problem or is it something outside the churches? And in the churches themselves, they've often looked inside and said, oh, we did something wrong. And in particular, the big story has long been, and this is from United Church people, not just people outside it, oh, our Sunday schools collapsed because we introduced this new Sunday school curriculum in the mid-1960s. And they did. And I think it's fair to say it had an impact. What's fascinating is the Presbyterians did not introduce a new curriculum, and the Anglicans did not introduce a new curriculum, and both their Sunday schools went down at the same time. And so my colleague Brian and Clark and I suggest that, yes, we can see that there could be some influence of the new curriculum in the United Church, but something bigger has to be going on if everybody is going down at a roughly the same time. So that's why we thought, no, there's got to be some outside forces, not just the inside ones. When it comes to the baptisms that you that you keyed in on, you mentioned at one point in your book about a, a new minister who focuses in on going outward and visitation, and there's this massive growth of people who get converted and they're and therefore subsequently whether it's their kids or their uh, themselves ha- have baptisms uh, why, why did you bring that story in i think it was just it, it was good just to talk about success and the importance of leadership i think we were also interested in showing how things were different and how there was an expectation this happened in the 1960s that any minister could go out <laughs> and get that kind of response. And so the idea was, if anybody does this, you'll see that kind of uh, success. And I would say that we would all suggest, whatever our theological tradition or perspective today, that it would be much harder today to reach out into our culture, because our culture now is 35% of Canadians say they have no religion. So how do you even access a faith point with folks who might not even know what the Bible is. And it's just good to recognize that in 1960, it was under 1%. In 1971, it was only 4%. So that has just continued to explode. So it's a very different context. Reaching out to people who may have gone to Sunday school and inviting them to faith is a very different thing from reaching out to people who have only a negative or have no idea of what the Christian message is. You key in on some more external factors that are happening uh, in the 60s and 70s and the forthcoming years that you think do contribute to this declining faith in Canada. Uh, some of that being what's happening uh, politically and and socially. Could you, could you elaborate on anything that you think is worth bringing up here? One of the things Brian and I saw, and this doesn't come from just our research, this is the fascinating thing. I I gave the example of the United Church, where 
if we look inside and we go, oh, it must be something we did in Canada, the churches look, it must be something the Canadian churches did. Other scholars around the world are telling the same story in countries like Britain and Australia and New Zealand. The outlier here is the United States. And for us as Canadians, that's always a challenge because we always look to the United States. But scholars, particularly one gentleman, Callum Brown from Britain, he talked about the importance of an external culture shift. And so we really tested that idea. And so this is a liberalization of attitudes towards sexuality. But another important thing is the growth of individualism. Seeing yourself not connected to a family and your family's part of a church, but what do I want? What do I want to self-actualize myself? And so this is just an example of a number of the trends that things that the church had been very good at and with and, and doing these things just no longer seemed as important. We also would suggest sometimes Christians argue that the government changed things and people left the church. We point out in the book that a lot of things like uh, school prayer in Ontario continued long after the number of people being parts of Christian churches was on the decline. I was a minister, so I'm, I'm much older now, but I was a minister in 1985. Wow. I went to a parish in, in my first congregation in Ontario, and we still had the Lord's Prayer said every day in our local schools. But the reality is we were 20 years into Canadians starting to leave the churches. So it wasn't that we had Sunday shopping or uh, Sunday hockey and everyone left. Those things certainly for people for whom church and faith wasn't as important, they didn't encourage them to come, but the move away from the churches had happened much earlier. And so that's another thing we say. We don't say it's, it's the government who did it. Now, once it happened, the government was pleased to follow those trends, but it went down in terms of the number of Canadians. No religion was growing long before uh, we had things like Sunday shopping in Ontario. Brian, you already touched on the fact that you think it's dangerous how we in Canada are so quick to look to our Southern neighbors for guidance on just about anything and everything. And that includes religion. But the reality is, is that we are far more a post-Christian nation than they are. And you, at the end of this book and part, you guys offer some counsel to pastors and churches. And one of the things you say is to not look that direction. Could you elaborate on that as to why? Yes. Yeah. So, the, and it's it's not that we're against the United States, quite opposite, but it's the recognition of how different the American culture is. And I think almost all the statistics show that they are starting to catch up to Canada in terms of the number of people claiming no religion, but arguably for quite different reasons. So, what we were think, concerned about is places that were more had a similar trajectory to us, places where it was the 1960s and it had continued. And so that's why we were looking to places like England. And I notice I say England, not Britain, because I don't think the church in Scotland has ever have really has this in hand. But the Anglican church in England has been doing some really interesting experiments uh, that we thought were worth looking at. So situations where people are really trying to reach out 
and engage people in faith and have uh, forums. Uh, there were some movements that we refer to in the book that came out of England. So that's what we were interested in, places that were similar to Canada, where there was this long-term trend of more and more people not knowing what the faith was. What is it that might bring them at least some awareness? And the recognition that's very different than being in Texas, where probably everybody expects you to belong to a church, or if not, that was the expectation up until very recently. So that's why we pointed to England, uh, to the to emergent movements and and places where people were really being challenged about faith. Could you define the difference between two terms that you bring up in this book, non-churched versus de-churched? Um, yes, non-churched would be people who've never actually even been to a church. De-churched are people who were in a church and then left. And one of the things that we suggest is that there used to be a lot more of the people who'd been there and weren't there anymore. These are people who might be angry with the church. They might be people who are apathetic, but they actually have an understanding of what the Christian faith is about, even if they're not actively engaged. Uh, Non-churched have never been to church. These are folks who've literally never walked through a church door. They might not know what the Bible is. They might not be able to name the four gospel writers. Or you go through the list, they would not really. Is Easter a Christian festival? They might know that. They might not. They probably wouldn't know what Pentecost Sunday is. Or you go down through the list, and they genuinely would not know. They're not angry. Uh, often. They just have never been exposed to it. And one of the things we point out in the book is when you look at the trends and when you go to the age categories for these folks, um, and this has been a long-term trend, there are some children who have been brought up in families where their grandparents were not connected into a church. So they are really non-church. They have no memory no history in any Christian denomination. Those are probably stronger on the uh, side of the Protestant churches rather than the Roman Catholic churches. The Catholic church, particularly through the school system, has been better able to keep up that religious identity. It doesn't mean people go to mass Mm. like it used to, uh, but they've at least kept up a religious identity. But for Protestants, we're the ones who saw a lot of that loss. And we have people who um, have never been to a church. So that's the difference we were playing with in those terms. Mm, Helpful to keep that in mind as we engage with people in Canada. You also uh, raise an interesting point, the level of engagement that the average churchgoer would have in Canada versus the non-churchgoer, more active in community service, more likely to vote. And it's really articulated well in, in Putnam's claim that you quote, uh, that the church community are the single most important repository of social capital. Do you stand by that completely? I stand by that when we wrote the book. I'll <laughs> be interested to see what has changed since then. And recognizing we wrote the book, probably we had the finished manuscript a year or two before it was published. But I, I do think churches have served a powerful function 
of getting people engaged with one another, uh, working together, and doing good things in their community. That doesn't mean other organizations haven't done that, but often it's been church people who've been people who've served in service clubs and other organizations. So the interesting question would be, are other organizations finding a way to do that now? I'm a big supporter of Habitat for Humanity uh, for housing, and, and I recognize the Christian roots of that organization. But talking to some executive directors in Habitat, one of the things that's interesting is they talk about less and less it's church people that are involved. They are an organization that's been able to get more non-church people involved and engaged. So that's one that I think it was true when we wrote it, but I'm not sure if it continues to be true. But that was also a point where we wanted to talk to people outside the churches about why they might want to care about this. And it was just that the churches have been fundamental to the life of Canada and the social life and what Robert Putnam, the political scientist, calls the social capital. That is the stuff that binds us all together so we make a good society. And he raises the question, not as a person of faith, as far as I know, but just as a really fine political scientist, what replaces churches in binding people together? Hmm. And note, he wrote that long before we had the kind of polarization we see now, both in Canada and in the United States, where we're always not sure that people see themselves in the same community. And that does become worrisome. So churches have often brought together people who are on the shop floor and people are in the management office, a variety of people of occupations. We've had police officers and teachers and what other organization does that? And, and homemakers and retired people. And we, the church at its best is a multi-generational organization. So young people get to, to meet older people and older people get to meet young people. That really binds people together. And, and our question was just what happens? What replaces that? And you put it well, in such a post-Christian society, Canada's churches need to rediscover Christianity's founding impulse for mission in order for this bounding together for people to want to be bound to the church in the first place. Yes. Uh, with just a couple minutes left, is there any uh, impulse that you could, you could offer our listeners about the mission of people encountering Jesus for them to want to go to the church in the first place? One of the things I say, and this surprises people um, because I am Presbyterian, is that I think the church has to focus on evangelism. Now, as soon as I say that, I want to clarify, I actually mean introducing people to Jesus and introducing people to the faith. I think all the churches need to recognize that their main mission is to share the love of God and to share what Jesus taught and invite people to become his disciples. So I think that has to be our primary task. And so as a preacher, when I those occasions when I do preach, I'm very biblically based. And while I don't do an altar call, I do try to always encourage people to hear what Jesus is saying and be a disciple. And I think that's what the church needs to focus on. I don't think every Christian church in Canada is going to agree on all of the details but I think that's what all the churches need to do. They need to reach out and invite people to be disciples. 
That's a pretty challenging note to end on and a fitting one on this program. We've been in conversation with Stuart McDonald. He is a professor of church and society at Knox College in Toronto, and he is the author, co-author of Leaving Christianity. Thanks for your time today. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Thanks for listening today. A reminder that you can access any of our episodes when you head to the Culture at a Crossroads podcast. We do invite you back next week as we once again explore the intersection of faith and culture in Canada, helping to better equip you in following Jesus. Jesus.